Welcome to Five More Minutes, a podcast I'm devoted to doing and sometimes don't have time to do. I know all of you understand. We're looking at Malachi, the last book in the Christian Old Testament. The most remarkable thing probably about Malachi is uh, the silence between when he spoke and penned the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi and the 400 years following it before the fulfillment of the prophecy he makes in chapter 4 about John the Baptist, who will be a new Elijah. First, the Lord assures Judah that he doesn't forget his promises and that Edom will not go unpunished for its uh, repeated and terrible destruction of Judah, usually in partnership with other countries like Babylon. Then the Lord, through Malachi, calls Judah out for giving the worst of their um, animals in sacrifice. This is the same as um, us not giving until we're very, very, very sure we can pay all of our bills. Um, Bills are important, but it is important that our generosity to the Lord not be an afterthought, both in worship and with our skills and gifts and also with our money. This is going to come up again in Malachi, though it is but four chapters. In chapter two, he says this, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. This is to the priests. That's verse three. In verse four, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, said the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. And then in verse 7, he says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is obviously a sharp rebuke from the Lord, what with the dung and all, and yet it ends well. Um, But the priests are supposed to be leading the people in keeping the covenant, and they are not. God rebukes them. They hear the rebuke and repent, at least some of them. Then he rebukes the nation of Judah for some combination of uh, idol worship through intermarriage and for divorcing people quickly and without grounds. In the way that we think of uh, divorce today, we Uh, Christians talk about with and without grounds. This was a regular habit of the nation of Israel, uh, and God is very, very unhappy with them. This fits with most of the prophets who push back on the people for their immorality and for their oppression because sin produces oppression. In verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. See, God's not opposed to people from other nations coming into the nation of Israel and even marrying, but he is opposed to idolatry in worship. So if you want to marry someone outside of the nation of Israel, that person needs to become a convert, which is talked about regularly in the Old and in the New Testament. And the problem with idolatry is not simply that God isn't being worshipped, though that is the primary evil in it. It's that idolatry produces oppression and sin. God continues to, 
in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. A little bit of foreshadowing, but a point that is made often throughout the scriptures, which is we are to give God first fruits. This text is abused by prosperity gospel preachers as a proof text um, that if you give to God, he will bless you financially. Uh, which is absurd on a number of levels and actually a a heresy, a leading away people from the true gospel. Because in Malachi, the context of it is after Jesus returns, not Jesus's incarnation, but after he returns, that's when all nations will call God followers blessed. And finally, we get to the day of the Lord, a regular part of the Old Testament. And it says this in chapter four, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. For behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. There's a prophecy of John the Baptist. This follows a beautiful repenting on the part of Israel. And then the people of God wait for John the Baptist, who Malachi prophesied. That's it for five more minutes. Hope you have a good week.